Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Communication Solution Podcast, and maybe even watching it here with Casey Jackson, Tammy Collet, and John Gilbert, the IFIOC team. So we have a another quick uh, example today of a podcast to get into a topic that has come up from various people, actually, in different trainings that I can speak to, but also a question that Tammy, you said a, a friend asked of you in learning motivation reviewing. So if you wouldn't mind kind of diving into that, and then we'll start there. Yeah, so the question is, like you mentioned, a lot of people have this question because whoever you're talking to, sometimes people just don't talk. So what do you do when your client just won't talk? So, I mean, there's multiple things that I think of that are, um, we'll stick with the ones that are MI adherent. Um, so <laughs> the MI adherent ones that I think of is, we start with resistance and people not talking is a form of resistance or reluctance even. And what we know across the board, fundamentally primary skill is empathy. And where people struggle, and I get it, I get it because we're trained to express empathy through reflective listening, or we get trained inadvertently to say things like, well, I understand. Yes. But as soon as we put ourselves in the equation, you literally can give them more ammunition to focus outside themselves about how they don't want to talk to you. And literally their brain wants to say, you don't understand me. Mm -hmm. So it can create conflict, even with the best of intention. When you deconstruct and think about what is the nature of accurate empathy, it is stepping inside the world of another person, not your brain thinking, how would I act if I was in their situation? It's trying to access how their brain is firing. What is it saying in that moment? And there's a couple of different things that strike me about it. One is even reflecting the fact that they don't want to be in that situation and they don't want to be talking to you. Mm -hmm. That could be a reflective statement. And they may just nod their head or just go, oh, of course, am I not communicating that clearly enough to you right now? Um, so that could continue. But that's also an indicator that there is a negative energy going back and forth, whether or not you believe you're contributing to it or not, they could be projecting that on you. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that dissipates that is for the person to feel genuinely heard and understood and not judged and not pushed to be at any other state than they currently are. Mm -hmm. So the level of skill set to, to suspend your agenda and all the things you need to do to just enter someone else's space and feel what it's like to be in their space and try to give words to that can be one of the things that helps mitigate that process as well. The other thing, and I keep referencing this, is from that primal response. It's usually when people are shutting down, they're in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. They're more in primal brain or they're more in reactivity brain. And when they're in reactivity brain, you trying to appeal to their cortex or their executive functioning is just a misstep. It's a misapplication of a skill set. You're trying to get their brain to be firing at a level that it's not firing. So what you want to do is go from, again, an empathy perspective, step inside their brain and think what's really firing um, or floating through their thoughts at this moment in time. So you're really trying to understand the thoughts in their head, not by saying, I think you're saying, uh, I, I understand or anything along those lines, but really just trying to throw out what world they're seeing through the picture. Absolutely, Tammy. And, and as soon as you say those, the first thing I think of from my years of working with 
transition, you know, younger, working with youth, working with kids and youth, the most ones that are most oppositional, think about if you hear an adult say to you, well, I think I hear you saying this. It sounds so adult and it sounds so paternalistic and it sounds, it just is, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for an adolescent. Um, well, I think you're feeling this way, or it sounds like you're struggling with this. It just, there's nothing more grating, especially for somebody that's more oppositional or pushback than for someone to tell you how you feel. Yeah. It, it truly triggers everything because the last thing they want is to feel like an adult relates to them. Yeah. That's the last thing that they want. Yes. So it can actually have even a greater paradoxical effect when you're attempting to express empathy if you're using I statements in your reflective statements. It, it can have a, a very triggering or backfire effect, even if you think you're being empathetic. I think the hard part though is too, is when you're trying to be empathetic and you're trying to speak from their worldview. Sometimes people, I don't know how to describe it, but they're trying to be empathetic and trying to speak from their worldview, but yet they're saying it from their own, um, not confidence, but like their own arrogance of this is your worldview, if that makes sense. It does. And, and I know that from the listener's perspective, talking to the individual who's reluctant or resistant, we tend to get a little anxious when we want to hedge our bets. So we don't want to put words in their mouth and cause them to be even more frustrated. Yeah. So I, I, that's our issue. And I know people struggle with that. And I, I hear this in trainings a lot, that it's like, I just feel like I'm putting words in their mouth. And it's like, well, I'm glad that you're anxious about that because you should not be putting words in their mouth. Yes. Not motivational. I mean, you should be putting words to what's going on inside of their experience. Yes. And that is a different way of thinking about how doing, you're doing reflective listening. And, and again, if you feel like you're just trained to paraphrase or parrot back or summarize what they just said, and they're not talking, then you don't know what else to do. How do I reflect when they're not talking? Yeah. This is the difference between reflective listening and being able to empathetically engage with someone to step inside their worldview and put words to what you can make a fairly educated guess about what do you think is going on? This is the last place you want to be. You don't want to be talking to somebody about this stuff. You're not even sure how you feel about it. And then you've got somebody trying to ask you about how you feel about it. Like you don't know how you feel. If you know how you felt, then you wouldn't even be sitting here. Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to guess what could be going on inside of their experience and putting words to that. And usually if something lands, some response will happen. Their eyes will look up at you. They'll say, well, no, you know, they'll say something and give you some modicum of feedback. When they give you that modicum of feedback, that's a little window into what they're experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. But this is what's so difficult about MI because of our own insecurity or feeling inept in dealing with it. We're doing so much self-evaluation and every moment we're doing self-evaluation is a moment taken away from being inside their worldview. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes, again, more of a self-centered process that conflicts with being another person process or other person centered, which is more of an empathetic process. Yes. So true. It'll, I'll go ahead, Tammy. Well, I, I just was, sorry, that was, that's floating down and resonating with me what you just said, because I was thinking about how, yeah, when you're trying to help someone, you're, you're constantly going, am I saying the right things? Yes. 
And instead of saying, am I saying the right things? You're trying to get back into their worldview to go, let's just see this from their perspective. So right. that was just my wave. Well, and, and when you were saying that to me, I was thinking about it too. It's, you can feel that it's going to be a tense conversation if you're trying to find a way to coax them out of their cave in a really nice, gentle way. Yes. And I think that's what people tend to think of if somebody is nonverbal is how do I create a safe environment to coax them out of their cave yes. so we can have a conversation? Yes. On paper, it makes sense. I, I, it seems like, how do we do that? How do we do a little trail of candy? How do we how do we get them in a gentle way and then have a nice pillow for them to sit on by a fire if they'll come out of their cave? I think that's what we tend to try to do, yeah. but that is not motivational for me because that's my agenda still. It's a worthy agenda. It's not wrong, but it can actually contaminate the process because the person in the cave just wants you to leave them alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not stupid. I know you're putting candy, piece of candy for me to go sit out on that pillow. I don't want to. I just want to sit in my cave. So we try to find all these ways to coax or coerce them out. And from an from a high empathy perspective, you go plop, you know, sit cross-legged inside their skin, inside their cave, and you just go, you know what? I just want to be here and I want everybody alone. There's your reflective statement right there. Yeah. You just want to sit in here and you just want everybody alone. The mastery of motivational interviewing is then how do I move it beyond empathy into a productive conversation? Mm-hmm. But you can't move it to productive conversation until you get engagement, the first of the four processes, and you can't get engagement unless the person feels deeply hurt. So again, this is one of the things that makes, am I more complex than people think it is? Um, it's so efficient and so effective, but the level of skill set and assessment that it takes on a professional level of what you need to do and when you need to do it, there's a lot of moving pieces going on there. And, yep. it, and it's always going to start with, empathy and high empathy is not just regurgitating or paraphrasing how somebody's what they're saying it's yeah. moving inside their, their reality and I keep thinking in this situation if somebody's not talking they're in a space where they don't want to come out of the cave and they definitely don't want to come out of the cave and talk to you that's where I start from it okay what does it feel like to be inside their space? yeah yeah that cave analogy is so helpful for like a visual of that case so you coaxing someone out and it's just you know trying to get them to come out type thing and so that's really helpful for a visual for sure um and then the other thing too there, there's two other thoughts while you're talking one is like this transition from being in our head thinking are we saying the right thing like tammy you were talking about and getting out of our head even when we say i statements having coached different people they almost get caught up as soon as i comes out of their mouth and then they're like oh no and then then they lose all of the empathy and it's like well it's less about did you say I or not. It's more what vision and perspective are you operating from. And the more it's theirs, you'll find even in high-end, high-skilled MI videos, people will use I from time to time. But it's not that you want that to trip you up. It's that you're demonstrating empathy rather than stating empathy. I understand is different than here's what you're going through and demonstrating something in a very eloquent you know, conversational way, like you gave there, Casey, of like saying all those unsaid things of, I don't even know what I'm thinking. You know, like those are such deep ways of expressing and demonstrating empathy. I think there's a transition there. There's also this contrast I want to bring up of coaxing them out can also be through questions where, where we immediately jumped into what we know of making statements. 
there's this question answer trap that's talked about in the motivational interviewing world of question and then the, we try to have the person answer and then question answer question answer question and we're not ever demonstrating a sense of their reality and there's something to be said that i wanted to put on the table possibly of just we're so used to using questions to i don't know coax people out of their caves or whatever we want to call that that a question might, may be easier cognitively than a inference like you gave that was so um, spot on, but that might be more work for us. So how do we shift out of kind of this, what's easier in our brain with questions to coax people out and really what might be more emotionally and cognitively difficult, get into the cave next to them and look at the world from their worldview. Seems like a big ask, yet it's kind of this idea of you're likely to get a more return on your investment from what you're talking about. But I just wanted to raise that whole point of the questions because we haven't really talked about that. Like where do questions come in in the process of someone not talking? Are, is there a place for them? You know, are they bad or how do they, how do they function in the beginning of a conversation uh, when someone isn't talking? Is there even a place for questions? Well, what I think of, again, what I appreciate so much about a motivation perspective is that it's person-centered. So we can talk about what we know and what the probabilities are, especially since we teach MI from a physics perspective, what's the, the probability or the potential. But it may be that Tammy, I may ask her a question and that pulls her out of her cave. Mm -hmm. I may ask you a question and it pushes you deeper into your cave because you're two separate individuals. So what we know is the probability is when people feel heard and understood, they feel heard and understood when you reflect rather than asking questions, because when you ask questions, you're communicating that you don't understand. So that's a fairly easy structure, but who cares what the structure is? Because if Tammy, I asked for a question that pulls her out of her cave, um, it doesn't matter what the physics of it tends to, tends to predict. Tammy's still an individual human being. So it's not that, no, we don't use I statements. It's not that, no, we don't ask questions. It's that what we know is those tend not to get us the outcomes we want, depending on where we're using them, at what part of the process of the, or the um, phase of motivational interviewing that they're in or the, the mindset of the language they're using. It's more predictable and probable we can res respond this way. So, so it's not when do we or don't we or do we or, you know, it's, it's less about that and how much, like I keep saying, you are linked into that individual, how, how deeply you're inside their reality should provide you some indicators of what's most effective because when you try it, they are going to give immediate feedback. If I ask John a question and John burrows further into his cave and I ask Tammy a question and she lifts her head up and responds to the question, I need to be able to assess both of those. It's not, do I use a question or do I not use a question? It's that how is my communication impacting this interaction right now for this individual? So, and with this specific topic, John, what we tend to know is that questions tend not to be as effective when people are more buried in their cave and don't want to talk. Questions tend to be counterproductive, generally speaking. And I'll add as we're wrapping up too, Tammy, you brought this up in a separate podcast. I believe we have a short podcast just on the roadblocks, but uh, is just keeping in mind Tom Scordon's 12 roadblocks. We train on that in our intro. It's not necessarily motivational interviewing, but maybe roadblocks are happening that are creating that person to further shut down, or as you're saying, Casey, go deeper in their cave. And some of that is called questioning and probing, which is kind of more uh, agenda-focused questions of the professional. But 
that's kind of what we were talking about a little bit there. But um, I just want to point people to that resource, especially if you're in the membership, uh, you, you should be able to have access to that. I know for sure in the gold membership, but that's a wonderful kind of, it gives you examples of things that you might be falling into for traps if people are especially quiet or silent or not engaging with you. And then now you have quite the um, podcast here to listen to in different ways to approach it without any one right or wrong so much as experimentation and getting feedback in that experimentation for engagement. So hopefully that was uh, helpful and served you in how to engage people in a genuine conversational uh, way that, that really helps for them. Um, and then last but not least, Tammy, you had something to, to say. I was just gonna say, you know, for those that haven't taken a class with us, I also encourage you to do so because typically you guys show a video that shows um, a gentleman that really doesn't wanna talk and um, how motivated, motivational interviewing is used and he starts talking. Yes. Like, that's the coolest part. So if you haven't taken a class with us, feel free to check out one of our classes. You can see it on ifioc.com under our upcoming trainings, um, but that would be an option to also see that video too. That's absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure as always team and hopefully it has been for you out there for, for listening. I'll just say that um, I always learn something from these and if you're looking to learn something new from this or there's a question that came up from it or you have a comment, um, whatever you'd like to share, we want to respond to and be of service to you. So you can do that at Casey at IFIOC.com and send your questions, scenarios, whatever you'd like to there. Uh, we can do a short or a long podcast on it. We can make a skill building activity for those that want to be a part of the gold membership. Um, we can do all sorts of different things with it uh, and go from there. So hopefully we get to hear from you. Thanks for your time and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you. Take care.